This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fans Hockey Podcast. The best fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me... Back after his week hiatus is the fantasy hockey robot himself, Brian Calm. Hey, Lon, it's good to be back. I'm in Montreal this week, so I think now we have officially recorded this show in like five different cities around the world. Yes, very exciting. And you know, I always feel like we don't talk enough about Montreal players. Like Max Pacioretty, he's like an all-star, like maybe top 10 player in the league, don't you think? I feel like we don't give him enough credit. Let's do it right off the top. He definitely does get his due inside Montreal. And if you talk to any Habs fan, they'll try to convince you that he is a goal-scoring wizard. And they're right to do so. He has fantastic numbers. Over the last three seasons, there have been 391 forwards who have played 750 minutes at even strength or more. And Max Pacioretty ranks 13th in points per 60 minutes and is 7th if you look at goal-scoring per 60 minutes. So he is an efficient scorer. He's done very well for a long period of time. And actually, Elon, while I was preparing for the show this week and watching the Habs box score for tonight, I was thinking that he'd actually be somebody that we need to make a note to reference going into next year's drafts, because I think he's still not as league renowned as he should be. And like, he's probably like top three rounds material. And I feel like outside of Montreal and maybe outside of Canada, he slips beyond those quite frequently. Well, hey, you can't argue. 50 points in 58 games, 221 shots just today. By the way, we're recording on Saturday night uh, in case that matters. So some of our numbers might not include Saturday's game that we talk about. But I will say that today's game, he's got six shots on goal and two goals against Columbus. So there you go. Max Pacioretty. But we're not here to talk about Max Pacioretty because that's not useful to you, the listener. We're going to tell you about some players that you might have available in your pool. But first, let's just mention that we are presented by DailyFaceoff.com. We love Daily Faceoff. You go there for starting goalies, line combinations. We use it to prepare the show. I use it for my pools. So does Brian. It's a great site. So check it out. DailyFaceoff.com. Now, I'd normally comment on something extra about DailyFaceoff.com right now, but I'm actually still kind of pumped about Pacioretty. I'm still sifting through the numbers here. And he also is an incredible shooter. He shoots at a more productive rate relative to his ice time than almost every other skater over the last three years. Actually, in terms of forwards, he is second to only Rick Nash. That means he takes more shots per 60 minutes than Alex Ovechkin. Did you know? That's crazy, man. You should go to different cities around the NHL more often so we could find these special players that aren't being appreciated enough. That's a great idea. Uh, patrons, get on board, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll need a lot of patrons to send Brian on his Keeping Carlson tour. But okay, let's get to the first player I wanted to talk about. We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Normally, we would start with the headlines. We, of course, have a trade to talk about, some injuries. I wanted to start with just some players on hot streaks, because I feel like that's what people might be the most curious about. And I want to start today by talking about Nail Yakupov, first overall pick in the 2012 draft had been considered pretty much a bust. Like, even this season, you know, he had been healthy scratched earlier in the year. If you look at his total numbers, he has 20 points in 60 games. And that is, you know, quite disappointing, especially for a first overall pick. But why don't we zoom in on the last eight games? 
And he's got four goals and four assists. So that's a point-per-game pace over the last eight games. Also, his ice time has shot up significantly. In today's game against Anaheim, he played 19 minutes and 24 seconds. I think that's his highest of the year. He's averaging less than 15 minutes a game on the year. So Neil Yakupov is heating up. He obviously has the pedigree as a first overall pick. So Brian, is he someone people should be jumping on if he's still available in their pools? I'm seeing he's only 6.3% owned in ESPN. Is this going to be the biggest steal that people can take going into their fantasy hockey playoffs? He could be, although, you know, pulleys are right to be a little ambivalent towards Neil Yakupov now that he's producing at a pace that we kind of hoped he would have done last year and most of this year too. He went really quickly from a sure shot can't miss prospect to fantasy free agency fodder. And like you said, Elon, this year has not been so kind to him. There was a really long stretch where he was mostly putting up one, zero, two shots a game, was not involved in his team's offense, had poor underlying numbers. And I'm not going to say right now that those underlying numbers have changed much. But the good news, though, is that the overlying numbers have changed since around the arrival of Derek Roy. And perhaps having Derek Roy as your center over Mark Arcobello is kind of a a positive thing, and that's been a positive change for Neil Yakubov. But percentages have also been fairly friendly to him. Over this recent run in which he had a six-game point streak, he scored four goals, and he is shooting at a very, very high percentage. He's scoring at a success rate just under 17%, which isn't like off the charts insane, but it is still like not totally sustainable, at least from what we've seen from him over the course of his career, which is like an 11% average. But of course, this year and last year, um, he's been really, really poor. His first good year in the NHL was that lockout shortened season. And unfortunately, just hasn't followed up all that much since then. That said, let's celebrate what he's done lately, even with that heightened shooting percentage, we can see that he's taking a lot more shots on goal. He's getting more ice time. He's consistently becoming a part of Edmonton's offense. On a nightly basis, you can at least count on him to throw a few shot attempts towards the net. I am still concerned with his underlying numbers. Like, his possession numbers are terrible. Even in this stretch, he's still seeing only 40% of shot attempts while he's on the ice. And if that keeps up, then the points probably won't necessarily continue to follow. So I'd like him to fix that aspect of his game as well. But in the short term, I'm happy with him. And I think you can be too. I am okay if you go ahead and add Neil Yakupov. I'm not going to say that he's definitely the most exciting option in your fantasy league right now, but he is certainly one of them, especially in deeper leagues. Well, we'll talk about some more options that might be looking very exciting right now. And maybe at the end, I'll ask you to rank them. But definitely, yeah, his shot rate is up. You know, just today's game, again, it's only one game. But against Anaheim, four shots on goal. His last game was three. And considering he's averaging just around two shots a game, this is a big increase. Obviously, also, if you're concerned about plus minus, you maybe don't want Nail Yakupov because that's always going to hurt you. He's minus 28 on the season. And even during this stretch where he's been doing really well, he's still a minus player. But overall, it's an increase, definitely something to keep an eye on. And yeah, it definitely wouldn't hurt to add him and see how it goes if you have someone you could drop. But Brian, let me ask you about the next hot player I want to talk about. Another player who had probably been assumed for dead in terms of fantasy hockey, someone who has been a free agent for a while, but used to be someone who people wanted. Let's talk about Milan McCulloch over in Ottawa. This guy, again, has horrible numbers on the year, 22 points in 51 games. Only 95 shots on goal. That's less than two shots a game. But since February 10th, in his last six games, he's got four goals and four assists. And he's taking so many shots. He had a game with six. He had a game with seven. All of a sudden, Milan McCulloch is that player that he was when the Sens got him for Danny Heatley way back when. Is this going to last, Brian? He's playing in the top six. He's getting power play time. He's getting more time on ice than he's been seeing for a while. Everything looks good currently, but is this something that can last? Well, the shots on goal have certainly been encouraging. He threw six shots on goal against Edmonton in a 7-2 victory, which is like, okay, it's Edmonton. But then he threw seven shots on goal against Montreal. Both of those were season highs. The six shots on goal game came first. But even with these eight points, Elon, that only brings him to 22 points in 51 games on the season. So... I think you can see where I'm going with this, and that is that this is not something that's sustainable. I don't 
think that McCulloch can keep up this shot rate. And even if he does, he's certainly not going to continue scoring on one out of every four shots he takes. And I'm going to make this easy for you also, Elon, because we just talked about Yakupov and now we're talking about McCulloch. And I know the question is coming, which one should I choose? Well, if you look at their on-ice shooting percentages, the answer becomes clear. One thing Yakupov has going for him right now is that his on-ice shooting percentage is reasonably normal and average. It's not crazy high. McCulloch's is. So I would certainly choose Yakupov as being the one who is more likely to continue what he's doing compared to Milan Mikalik, who, yes, it's great, but he's an older guy. He had a really rough year last year, and if you've been watching him in Ottawa, he just does not appear to be a very good player on most nights and has a lot of Sens fans concerned about the duration of his contract and how in the world he's going to complete it. Again, 22 points on 51 games played. The last week is a nice bonus, but I would not really be counting on him for offense as your season winds towards the playoffs. Man, Brian, I don't know. Like, I see very similar things between McCulloch and with Yakupov. And, you know, the rest of the season we talked about, yeah, I said 22 points, not very many, but recently he's doing well. He's on the second line. He's on the power play. It's hard to think he won't be able to at least do better than he was doing before. Obviously, his current pace isn't very sustainable, but hey, he's with the red-hot Mark Stone. He's playing with Kyle Turris. I don't know. I think I'm a bit more optimistic than you about McCulloch, but sure, I'm going to go with you and say that Yakupov right now is the more exciting choice. But Elon, coming into this season, in his last 300 games or so over the last four or five years, He's been a half a point per game player, save for the 2011-12 season, where he had 60 points in 77 games. Aside from that, he really has not done any better than picking up a point every two games. All right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. The history isn't there. I'll be curious to see. Maybe I'm just too much of an optimist. Let's go to the next player. Maybe we could add this person to the rankings because another person who's probably performing much higher than he has for the rest of the season. I don't have to say probably. Actually, he definitely has Dwight King on LA. Also, like, this is it. We're talking about hot streaks right now. And that's why you're here, Brian, to tell us whether or not these are people that might be able to sustain it, or maybe not. Dwight King, he's playing with Jeff Carter and Tyler Toffoli, who are both also doing really well. But definitely Dwight King is the one that is the most likely to be available in most people's leagues. I'm not going to include tonight's game because it actually just started. Like I said, we're recording on Saturday night. But in his previous five games, he has three goals and four assists for seven points. Unbelievable. But again, we're talking about Dwight King. Like, at least McCulloch is someone who used to be, like, a 60-point guy. And Yakupov is a first-round traffic. But, like, who the heck is Dwight King, and should people care about him at all? Well, as a human being, we should all care about him. Oh but God. as a fantasy <laughs> relevant... <laughs> but as a fantasy relevant player, uh, jury's out. And like you said... It's important to note that he has been playing with better teammates lately, and he's doing pretty well. And actually, he has had a run like this before. He had a really nice second half to the season last year, too, and and appeared on a lot of our radars around that time. Even so, though, he only finished with 30 points on the season in 77 games played. He has 21 in 56 games played this year, and that 30 points was his career high. So let's see if he can get there. Of course, it'll help if he continues seeing the opportunities that he is seeing. But again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but his percentages are off the charts. The one thing he does have going for him right now, however, is that his underlying numbers have been quite good, even though he's seeing a larger share of defensive zone starts compared to the amount of offensive zone starts that he's seeing. His possession numbers are strong, and of course, like we've talked about on the show before, that doesn't necessarily correlate directly to production, but it does suggest that maybe he's doing something right. So unsustainable production, but pretty good other numbers. You can decide by weighing those two factors whether or not he's going to be a useful addition to your fantasy team. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm least excited about Dwight King of all the people we've talked about so far. Only 11 minutes and 21 seconds in his last game against Colorado. So I feel like as opposed to Yakupov and McCulloch, who I was excited about not only for their production, but also their increased minutes lately, Dwight King looks like sort of a Tyler Toffoli from earlier in the year who was getting all these points, but his minutes were concerning me. And like, how can someone with so many points be being played so rarely makes me think that it's something that's not sustainable. I'm going to give you my current ranking of the three players we've talked about so far. And now that I've had some time to think about it, I actually want McCulloch, then Yakupov, then King. I know you're going to say Yakupov, but between McCulloch and King, are you saying King? 
I'm kind of saying neither, actually. And I feel like maybe you're just deciding that Dwight King has a boring name and plays for a team (laughs) that you've never cheered for. I feel like that might weigh into it. But I actually, I want to talk for a second about the player you just compared Dwight King to. You said maybe he's like a Tyler Toffoli, and I don't think that's terribly fair to Tyler Toffoli. I know we were hard on him at the beginning of the season, but he's also another player that I wanted to bring attention to on this episode. He's got 38 points in 51 games so far. He had a four-point game back against Calgary on February 12th and has points in five of his last six games. And get this, if you look at all situations, so we're talking about power play, even strength, whatever... He is eighth in the league in points recorded per 60 minutes. Would you believe, Elon, that he is just above Patrick Kane and Evgeny Malkin and Derek Stepan? He's actually very close also to Sidney Crosby and Tyler Sagan. So Tyler Toffoli is really emerging as maybe a consistent and efficient producer this year. I think maybe the more apt comparison, Elon, would be Tanner Pearson. Okay, fair enough. And I was saying Tyler Toffoli before when he wasn't getting good minutes. Definitely now Tyler Toffoli is a guy I would definitely want on my team. He is on fire, like you say, taking lots of shots. If you could get Toffoli, I want him above all of the guys in this segment of the program. But let me go back to another guy who maybe you're going to say I think is boring like Dwight King, because this is another guy who at the start of the year, especially I would have been like, who? But you and I actually added Lance Boma to our joint team a couple of weeks ago. And the reason we did it was because he was consistently producing hits. And then we saw he was getting some points recently. So we thought maybe this guy, who's by the way on the Calgary Flames, for those of you who are not aware, and that wouldn't be something you should be ashamed of. But Lance Boma is someone you should start to become aware of because while he's still producing those hits, he's also producing some points lately. And he's really become one of our sneakiest additions, at least someone who's helped us win in these past couple of weeks. So on the season, he's got 25 points in 57 games, so less than a half point per game. But if we look just at the last couple of months, in January, he had nine points in 11 games. Now in February, he has six points in his last nine games. So that makes 15 points in his last 20 games. And we're talking about someone who is good for hits, so he's good for peripherals, and he's finally putting up points. But at the end of the day, you know, this is Lance Boma, just like we were saying about Dwight King. Like, where is he even slotted in on the Flames, and is he someone who could keep up the point production? He's on the second line in Calgary right now, being centered with Mikhail Backlund and also sharing ice time with David Jones. That's a name we haven't come across in a while, but... This is about Lance Boma. Let's stay focused on him. His ice time is also up lately. He's seeing about 18 minutes a game in his past couple contests, and that is a fair rise over the 13 and a half minutes that he's averaged so far on the season as a whole. He actually ranks in the top 50 scores in the NHL since January 9th, and I picked that date. It's cherry-picked because that's when he got his first multi-point game that sort of kick-started this fairly reasonably long string of production in which he's had five multi-point games. He's put up a ton of points, including six goals in this stretch. But Elon, like you said, his value to us really lay in the amount of hits he was throwing against his opponents. And of course, hits are always a little wonky. You might attribute them to scorekeeping. But hey, if your league counts them as currency, then it doesn't matter if it's accurate or not. You want the guy who's got them And he is throwing like roughly three to four per game. He had a seven hit game a couple games ago. He has 16 over his last three. And one of the questions we get asked so often, Elon, is who is a guy that can score and hit? Right now, Lance Boma will make the people who are asking that question salivate. And hey, if you want to talk about guys who both score and hit, maybe another name that you might want to look at is Darren Helm over on Detroit. He's had a nice upgrade in his line mates. He's currently on the second line with Datsyuk and Tatar, though things might change in the Detroit lineup because as of now, I'm just seeing that Zetterberg got injured in Detroit's game today against Dallas. So I'm very pissed off about that because I have Zetterberg on my team. But I'm going to try to push through and make this podcast for you guys, even though part of me is dying inside. But okay, back to Darren Helm. He's been playing on the second line, which is actually interesting because Gustav Nyquist has been playing on the third line on Detroit. But with his new role has come some nice production. In his last nine games since January 29th, he's got five goals and three assists. 
And like I said, he's a hits guy. Like he's still consistently putting up six, five, four hits in a lot of games. He has other games where he does zero or one, but I guess that's to be expected with a stat like that. But he's a guy who can give you hits and he's finally putting up points and he's in a good line situation as of now. So Brian, what do you think about Darren Helm? Maybe compare him to Lance Boma if people are deciding between the two. I would still stick with Boma, but you're right. Helm is not worth passing over completely. And the reason I'd go with Boma is because he's been hitting consistently. Helm has sort of just come on in the last, say, four games. He's got 19 hits. And aside from that, though, he's averaging not even two hits a game on the season. He did have a season-high five shots on goal in his last game at Chicago and is still, I think, a decent short-term ad as long as he stays on the second line where he is, although, Elon, you just mentioned, that might be shuffled around by the time we release this episode. Yeah, though you would think with Zetterberg injured, that only gives him more opportunity and not less. I was going to say that's a really optimistic take that I can agree with, but then you became the pessimistic one. So um, I guess we just switched roles. <laughs> I'm saying ech because I'm mad that Zetterberg's injured. I'm not saying anything about Darren Helm. I'm sure he will have an increased opportunity. Good luck to him taking the spot of the guy that's supposed to be leading me to a championship this year. Well, police can hope that if Boma's and Helm's production dries up, which, you know, according to their percentages, it probably should, they can hope that at least they'll be putting hits on the board so that they're not contributing zero to their fantasy lines. If Helm stops hitting, that's something to keep an eye on because he probably will not be worth a whole lot to your roster. All right, now I'm going to do a really deep one, very quick. Actually, a patron of ours, Daniel Robinson, mentioned that we should be looking at Ryan White. So here's very deep. But if you want to look at a player who's getting hits and has some points recently, he's got a four-game point streak right now. Ryan White, he's on Philadelphia, four points in his last four games. And in his last three games, he has seven, four, and ten hits. So for very, very deep leagues, there's another name for you. Four points in ten games puts him two points off of his career high, which he got last year in Montreal, of six points in 52 games played. So good luck to you, Ryan White, on beating that total. We'll be rooting for you. Okay, so those are the players on hot streaks that I wanted to talk about. Now let's go to where we normally start the show. Let's go to the fantasy hockey headlines of the week. And I guess we better start with a big trade that went down. Earlier in the week, the Toronto Maple Leafs sent Cody Franson and Mike Santarelli to Nashville for Ole Jokinen, Brendan Leipzig, and a first-round draft pick. And of course, we're not going to spend too much time talking about Brendan Leipzig and the first-round draft pick because we want to focus on what you can do this year. So let's talk about the players that are relevant to your pool this year. And I guess we should start with Cody Franson because he goes from being an important player on Toronto. And now it's very interesting to know where he's going to fit in on Nashville. Unfortunately, we still don't have anything to tell you about him because he still hasn't played a game in Nashville. But Brian, what do you think? Does his value go up or down because of this move? It feels like this trade already happened ages ago. So is the news cycle of the NHL. But Cody Franson just appeared in his first game for Nashville We're going to get into that in a minute, but let's take a look at what was happening with him in Toronto. He and Dion Phaneuf formed Toronto's quote-unquote top pairing and took on the team's tougher minutes, starting more often in their own end than they did in the other team's end, and usually matched up against the other team's top players. Franson also saw top unit power play time. So Elon, when this trade went down, you and I had very different opinions. You said Franson's value went down. And I said Franson's value went up. So why did you think Franson's value went down? Well, yeah, we also talked about this on the patron cast on Wednesday. And I'll reiterate just what I said then is, yeah, sure, he might have easier minutes, but he's going to get a lot fewer of them because now he's way down on the defense depth chart. He's got Shea Weber, Roman Yosi, maybe even Seth Jones ahead of him. So I feel like he's going to get less opportunities to be on the ice when goals happen. That's fair. Less ice time probably equates somewhat with less opportunity. But I think the minutes that he is going to see are going to be easier. And I also think the change in defensive partner could help him. Because when he was on the ice with Dion Phaneuf, he only saw 45% of the shot attempts in his favor. When he was on the ice without Dion Phaneuf... 50% of all shot attempts taken while he's on the ice were in his favor, actually just a shade over 50% even. And now he's playing with Matthias Ekholm 
in Nashville. And Ekholm is a very good possession player, has been so far this season. Seeing easier deployment with his partner to date, Ryan Ellis, Franton stepped in there today in that spot. And actually, out of all zone starts, only one out of four were in the offensive zone. So his minutes and starts were actually tougher than I would have thought. But I still do think that in the long run, Weber and Josie are going to continue to be the ones who are charged with eating up the tough minutes in Nashville. And that'll give Franson a little more chance to do what he does offensively. I guess this is going to be a test to see if he was producing just because of sheer volume of minutes or if he was producing in spite of difficult minutes. So it's going to be an interesting little experiment to see what happens to him in Nashville Less power play time is definitely a downer, but I can also tell you that Matthias Ekholm, his new partner so far anyway, had a really good scoring chances for percentage. And what that means is of all the scoring chances that were taken while Ekholm was on the ice, a really decent majority of those were in Nashville's favor. And scoring chances defined as coming from a certain area on the ice. If you want to see a visualization that's really going to help you understand the concept, you can head over to war-on-ice.com. So Franson is going to be the biggest splash from that trade. Santorelli, on the other hand, he's been snoozing since the calendar turned to 2015. He has just five points in his last 20 games played, and you can probably count on him to be roughly a half point per game guy at best for the rest of the year, now playing likely in Nashville's bottom six over the course of the rest of the season. Well, yeah, Santorelli played only 12 minutes in his game today against Philadelphia. No points to show for it. Also, no points to show for Cody Franson, who played only 17 minutes and 52 seconds. He's averaging 21 over 21 on the season And Brian, I think you're going to eat these words you're saying. You know, he's got 32 points in 55 games on the year. That's a .58 points per game pace. I don't think there's any chance that a third or fourth string defenseman on the Predators is going to be able to beat those numbers. I still think he's a top four guy. I guess you're looking, if you want to boil it down, it's do you prefer your defenseman to get harder and more minutes or fewer and easier minutes, and it's going to come down to efficiency. So basically, you think that Franson is like a big superstar then, because if you're saying he was getting 32 points in 55 games with really difficult minutes, that must mean like he's amazing, and you think he's going to be, what, like a 0.6, 0.7 point per game player on Nashville? I'm not necessarily saying his production is going to increase. Maybe it's all going to come out in the wash. I just think it's an easier situation. I think it's positive that he's not being saddled with a possession anchor like Dion Phaneuf has been for him and is also not going to be seeing the other team's toughest opposition night in, night out. All right, I guess we'll see. I'd be willing to take a bet with you that I think his point per game pace will go down now that he's in Nashville. But that's what makes this podcast valuable to people. They get maybe sometimes two opinions. In fantasy, I understand you're looking at points per game. I'm more curious about his points per 60 minutes, what he makes out of the minutes he gets. But yes, bottom line, we care about points per game. So Elon, maybe, well, I'm not going to concede at all right now, but let's keep an eye on this. Okay, sure. Yeah, points per 60 minutes is great if you want to see how someone could do if they would do better. And that has worked for you in the past this season. Like you were saying, Thomas Tatar is the big example of a guy who was having a really high, I think it was goals per 60 minutes. And then now that he has more ice time, he's doing amazing. But Cody Franson isn't going to get more minutes because he's not going to overtake Roman Yosi or Shea Weber on the death chart. So whatever his points per 60 minutes are, it's going to be the same points per game because he's not going to get more minutes. Fair theory. (laughs) So we'll see. What a heated episode. You weren't here last week, so now I have all this energy, all the things I want to tell you. All the anger you usually get to take out on me has been building up for longer than usual. (laughs) Okay, well, let's keep the anger going. Let's talk about the injuries from last week. Always something that riles me up. I guess let's go to Ottawa to start because there was a really weird one. I don't really have anyone to blame except these two guys because Clark MacArthur ran into Robin Leonard and now they're both out. So great. And it's especially bad for Ottawa because Craig Anderson was already injured with a hand injury, which means Andrew Hammond is the new number one goalie right now in Ottawa. And obviously a lot of our listeners are in leagues where starting goalies are hard to come by. So should people jump and grab Andrew Hammond since he's going to be seeing a lot of games over the next few weeks. And I should mention he's done really well so far. It's only been a couple of games. He came in relief for Leonard. 
back on February 16th against Carolina and didn't do well. Though maybe you could just say, oh, he wasn't prepared to play that game. I don't know. I don't want to make excuses for him. But since then, he beat Montreal, led in only two goals on 44 shots. And then today, another win for Hammond against Florida. Ottawa destroyed Florida, and he led in only one goal on 22 shots. So yeah, Andrew Hammond, should people be grabbing him if they need a goalie? I'm going to burst your bubble, of course, and say no. No, I don't think he's worth your while. And I'll tell you when he might be worth your while. But first off, this Andrew Hammond, Chris Dreidger tandem that's appeared in Ottawa because of the injuries to Anderson Elena, it's bordering on like an Emery Zepp situation that happens in Philadelphia with Steve Mason out. I say to avoid both those goalies when Steve Mason is not playing. The backup is not worth it in this case. And I think it's sort of the same here. The Sens are a pretty poor team to begin with. And neither of the two guys that they're dressing now as goalies appear to even be replacement level NHL backups at this point in their career. So if you're desperate for starts or like time on ice, then sure, there's no timetable for either Anderson or Leonard's return. But just don't expect anything beyond ice time and, I guess, saves. If you're going to have them on your roster, you're also going to have to be pretty cautious regarding what they might do to your team's save percentage and goals against average numbers. All right, well, so far, so good for him. And like I said, he's got a 918 save percentage right now in his three appearances. And if you take out that first appearance, it's 955. But of course, like you say, small sample size. But I definitely get your point. You don't want to put all of your eggs in the basket of someone with so little experience. Yeah, and not exactly the kind of guy you'd expect to have little experience. He's 27 years old, so he's not your typical, like, random call-up, although Rob Zepp is also older. He bumps around for a while. He has a very good story, like he sort of quit hockey and then came back, and he seems like a really grounded and kind guy in interviews, But uh, interviews don't really count towards your fantasy stats. Andrew Hammond has an 898 save percentage in 25 games played so far this year with the AHL's Binghamton Senators. And that's actually a step down from his first pro season, which took place last year in Binghamton. And during that year, he posted a 910 save percentage in 48 games played. It's worth noting that the Baby Sens are not the greatest or deepest team right now. The cupboard is kind of bare with all the call-ups and young players taking spots on Ottawa's NHL roster. But even so, I'd want a little bit more to go on before counting on Andrew Hammond to help me out a whole lot in fantasy. And like I said, Clark MacArthur is also injured because of this run-in with Robin Leonard. And maybe the people to look at are people we've already mentioned. So we already said Milan McCulloch is someone who's maybe seeing an increased amount of ice time because of this injury. Also Mark Stone, who we've cataloged on the show as being a surprising rookie who's doing really well. So there are some good players to look at in Ottawa. And if you have Clark MacArthur, you're definitely not too upset that he's injured because maybe this is just a kick in the butt to pick someone else who's actually going to produce for you. Yeah, I am not sad to move him onto my own IR because he was not doing so hot anyway. Neither was Laner. So, like, neither of these guys are big losses if you had them on your team. We could barely recommend either one of them to start with. And another name, Elon, that I'll throw in with MacArthur's absence is Mike Hoffman. I think now he gets to stick a little more closely with Bobby Ryan and Mika Zibanejad rather than moving around the lineup. And he also continues to creep up Ottawa's power play depth chart in MacArthur's absence. Yeah, lots of sends players right now on really nice streaks so you could probably grab any of them and see how long it'll last and i'm talking about guys like mccullough stone hoffman zibanejad i feel like any of them right now have just as good a chance to put up some production over the next little while and also just as much of a chance to maybe dry up though maybe not as much hoffman and stone who have been doing well for a lot of the season but okay we said that we wouldn't mention this guy anymore unless something big happened so i guess for the last time this season let's talk about matthew perot what a roller coaster and now he's out for the season so obviously a big bummer we talked about when he got injured before and how we were sad about it but then he came back he was doing well again this time it looks like it will be for good so very disappointing 
I would say on Winnipeg, maybe the beneficiary is Drew Stafford, who was already seeing top six minutes. Now I feel like he'll for sure stay on the top six in Winnipeg. What do you think? It's definitely a good opportunity for Stafford. You've been high on him ever since the trade, and I've been cautious. But I guess this is a little more reason to be high on him and and lean towards your feelings. He's certainly not a world beater at all in terms of offense. He's a very consistent low percentage shooter, which is not a good thing to be consistently low percentage. Amongst forwards who've scored similarly over the last couple years or even like any substantial amount of goals, he's one of the guys who needs to take the most shots to get those goals. And he wasn't even taking shots in Buffalo. He had only 91 in 50 games played so far this season. But the good news is he's averaging two and a quarter shots on goal per game since moving to Winnipeg, including a season high five shot game in which he did pick up his first goal and only point as a Jet to date. Well, actually, Brian, today he's got two assists against Toronto. Okay, great. I'm happy to hear that because we are being optimistic here about Drew Stafford. Obviously, I did this research before he managed that, but I was sort of hoping that that's the sort of thing he was capable of. He did play tonight with Shifley and Bufflin, looking at the numbers right now. Before that, he played with Shifley and Froelich and even saw a turn with Andrew Ladd and Brian Little, and all of those combinations are a clear upgrade on the likes of Cody Hodgson, Nicolas Delorier, and Brian Flynn, with whom he shared his ice time the most as a Buffalo Sabre. Yeah, so I don't know why I like Drew Stafford. I feel like maybe I had some bad experiences last season where an opponent of mine had him in a week where he did well on Buffalo. And so I always knew he was someone that I was afraid of. And now that he's on Winnipeg and actually has good line mates, I feel like he has a good chance to finally do something. So far, so good. I guess we'll see what happens if he's available in your league. I like him. Brian, I guess we had Yakupov at the top of the list of players we've mentioned so far. Do you put Stafford on top of Yakupov? With Perot's injury, if Stafford can stick in Winnipeg's top six and continue taking shots, I like him. Yakupov is the more exciting one to me. I guess I'd put them about equally. Is that a cop-out? Who do you like more? Stafford. Right, I knew that already. But yeah, for me, I'm not going to pick one. Go with either. <laughs> or McCulloch. No, not McCulloch. He's third. Or Boma. Or Helm. So many names. Maybe I shouldn't be so sad that... Zetterberg's injured. Or no, who am I kidding? Of course, I'm sad that Zetterberg's injured. Okay, next injury. We still have a lot to talk about. Actually, here's a pretty big name, Sammy Vatanen. He's having an amazing season. He's slowed down recently, but overall, he has 34 points in 57 games, which is definitely very viable for a defenseman. And he was even better at the start of the year, but he was still the number one D on Anaheim, it seemed, getting the top power play minutes. So this must be an opportunity for someone to take advantage. Brian, who should people be looking at on Anaheim as the new number one guy on defense? Well, you'd think the fallout would be pretty straightforward, and that would be just that Cam Fowler steps up and gets to be that guy. And in the first games the Ducks played in Vatanen's absence, that's sort of what's happened. He's become the lone blue liner on the power play, and Anaheim actually decided to go with a fourth forward on that top power play rather than promoting another D-man to take Vatanen's place and play alongside Fowler. And you've got Ryan Kessler now taking turns on the top unit as that fourth forward. But initially, Elon, you and I thought, and we talked about this on the Patreon cast, we thought this might be a chance for Hampus Lindholm to take a star turn. He leads all Ducks defensemen in even strength scoring this year and is actually quietly slipped into second if we're looking at all situations ahead of Cam Fowler and behind Sammy Vatanen. Lindholm has 11 points in his last 14 games played. That's two goals and nine assists. Four of those have come on the power play. This is his third professional season, his second in the NHL. He picked up a very respectable 30 points as a rookie last year, and he should be owned in a lot of leagues. He's 19th overall in even strength scoring efficiency amongst D-men who have played more than 300 minutes this season, sitting above Aaron Ekblad, who does have five more points total, and just a sniff away from Eric Carlson and Mark Giordano. Also, it's fun to cheer for a guy named Hampus, so while Cam Fowler seems to be the guy who is carrying the load in Vatanen's absence, you'd be remiss to not have considered Hampus Lindholm as an addition to your team in any case by this point of the season. 
Yeah, also on Anaheim, Matt Belisky is injured. It's looking like two to four weeks, and they're actually shaking up their lines right now. So I definitely think you need to be watching daily face-off on a daily basis if you're going to pick up any non-Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, or maybe Ryan Kessler forward on Anaheim. Kessler's actually in a slump right now, though it looks like Corey Perry currently is on the second line. They've actually split up Perry and Getzlaff. Who knows how long that will last? So maybe that's actually good for Kessler and will help him out of his slump. Then you have guys like Devontae Smith-Pelly and Patrick Maroon, like the regular list of guys that get an opportunity to play with these two stars. So we'll see what happens on Anaheim. Brian, I assume you don't have anyone that you're especially excited about right now, aside from the, you know, the guys I mentioned that are always good. I was hoping you'd spare me this question this week about Anaheim. No, like it's the same story as usual. The third guy playing with Perry and Getzlaff is valuable. Two guys who are kind of poking their heads out without needing to play right now with Perry and Getzlaff are Jacob Silverberg, who has six points in his last nine games, three of those goals, three of those assists, and Richard Raquel, who's on a mini three-game assist streak. Right, yeah, so people to watch, but I still would consider them the least exciting of all of the players we've talked about, you know, all those guys on hot streaks before. I'm not too excited about Silverberg or Raquel, especially Raquel, just because his minutes are so low. Maybe Silverberg is a bit better, but I would need to see more. Yeah, let's not undersell Silverberg. Like, he is not too far below a half point per game so far this season. He's bounced around the depth chart quite a bit. And he does have sort of the pedigree to become a reasonably reliable scorer in the NHL one day. So just keep an eye on his numbers, maybe someone to add to your watch list. But Elon, I don't think six points in his last nine games is nothing too terrible, even compared to some of the really exciting streaks we've talked about on the show so far. All right, throw Silverberg on the list. Okay, and one more injury I want to talk about. We still don't know the extent of this, but David Krejci got injured in Boston's last game. And like I said, we still don't know the severity of the injury. So this might be the kind of thing that's actually nothing. But I already wanted to talk to you, Brian, about David Pasternak, who has slowly crept back up to the top line and is producing a little bit after sort of dropping off after we got excited about him when he first got called up. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on Pasternak at this point. And also, does anyone benefit if Krejci is out long term? First off, I think we should acknowledge what a frustrating season it's been for David Krejci owners. He's generally a reliable scorer, but this year he has not been reliably healthy. He's been back and forth between day-to-day and even IR for a couple turns, and a lot of the time you don't even know if he's going to play or where his health is at until the day of a game. Very surprising twists and turns all year, and this is just another one of those. As for what it means for other Bruins, David Pasternak is probably the one who I'd be most concerned about. He's actually gotten back on track ever since I dropped him. Actually, so a big you're welcome to everybody who is more patient with him than I was, although I was quite patient. He had a stretch of pointless games with one or fewer, that would be zero, shots on goal. And then he got back on track recently with eight consecutive games in which he put two shots on goal or more, and he had two goals and two assists to give him four points in a recent five-game stretch. Here's the catch, though. Six of his nine even-strength points to date came with Krejci on the ice with him. So right now, I still think of Pasternak more as a really good sleeper pick for next season and okay for a short-term cycle in a deep league for this season because with Krejci out, I'm not sure if this really continues. Things have been going really well between the two of them, and I don't know if Pasternak can continue doing it on his own, but it's nice to see that the talent is there and he should be on your draft radar come 2015-16. As for other Bruins who this might affect, like you asked who might benefit from this, Elon, to be honest, I'm not totally sure. With a quick look at their depth chart, I don't see any obvious immediate opportunities for anyone else. Do you? Well, I don't know. Maybe Patrice Bergeron goes on to the first power play unit, but it's not as if he's available in most people's leagues anyway. Yeah, it seems like it's just a bummer and, you know, too bad if you're a Krejci owner. I guess sucks to be you, but sucks more to be me because I have Zetterberg. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't feel too bad for you. We still have a few more players to talk about. Let me quickly just take a second to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson, who have been a big part of the show recently. Thanks again to the ones who joined me last week in Brian's absence. That really helped make the show not just me yammering with no one to respond. This week, I want to thank Spider Dan, Much, 
and David Freely for signing up to be new patrons. And for those of you who don't know, when you become a patron of Keeping Carlson, you donate like $5 a month and you get access to our Facebook group where we're all giving each other fantasy hockey advice. We also have our monthly patron cast. You get invited to random podcast recordings when Brian isn't there. And we actually have a new thing. We've started a bit of a DraftKings league. So if you're a patron of Keeping Carlson already and you don't know about this, we actually have a link on the sidebar to another Facebook group where you could sign up to play DraftKings with us, Daily Fantasy Hockey. So it's a lot of fun being a patron. I'm not going to talk any more about it, but I want to thank everyone who has stuck with us so far this season and who has supported the show in this way. It's never too late to get on board as a patron, especially as the playoffs roll around. If you have been enjoying us and enjoying the podcast all season, keep in mind we put a ton of work into it and it's a labor of love, but if you'd like to show us your support... There's a very good way if you head over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, even just like a quarter an episode at a dollar a month helps. But all the good stuff comes when you pony up $5. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's where it's really at. (laughs) Okay, so we still have some more things to talk about this week. I wanted to talk about a couple of outjuries. Two defensemen who are going to be coming back soon, one from a much shorter absence than the other, but both I'm curious if you think they're going to be able to do anything. So first let's talk about Christian Ehrhoff. He's had a pretty weak season on Pittsburgh. We talked about him a lot earlier in the year because we actually predicted that he was going to have a great season coming from Buffalo, but in 43 games played, he only has 13 points to show for it, which is pretty dreadful. He's been injured with a concussion for a while, but looks like he'll be coming back next week. He was actually just dropped recently in my league. So, Brian, is he someone I should consider grabbing, or is he going to continue this horrid pace that he's currently on? There have been so many agonized questions over Christian Ehrhoff, and we've spent a lot of this year, like, we spent tons of time digging into his numbers and seeing, like, what exactly is going wrong, and, oh, is this a positive sign? Oh, is this a negative sign? And we're not any further to figuring out where he fits in terms of production as part of Pittsburgh's blue line. And we weren't the only ones anticipating a great season from him moving from Buffalo to Pittsburgh into a really offensively charged situation. But it turned out that Chris Letang was very interested in reasserting his dominance in terms of who provides the points from the blue line in Pittsburgh. I'm not terribly optimistic about Erhoff for the rest of the year. And I don't have any reason necessarily to be pessimistic either, but we're at the point where it's been a struggle so long to have him on your team taking up a roster spot that he's going to have to show me something first before I add him on my team. Of course, if you have somebody who's dead weight right now on your team who's like been snoozing for a month or two, sure, Erhoff makes a good add if he's the best guy available in a deep league. Maybe he's got the most upside of any of your free agents. Otherwise, like I said, show me something first. Okay, and then this next guy I want to talk about, we actually mentioned a few weeks ago, we said, keep this guy on your radar because he might come back this season. And then I remember, Brian, you actually said, well, don't get your hopes up. But now it's looking like it might happen next week. Kimo Timonen might play this season, and it might be next week. It's very exciting if you're a Philadelphia Flyers fan, because their defense is pretty bad, so getting a star like him back would be great. So let me just remind the listeners who Kimo Timonen is. He's obviously near the end of his career, but last season he had 35 points in 77 games. The year before, 29 and 45. Like He's basically been a half-point-per-game player for the last few seasons. Brian, is there any reason to think that he won't be able to do that once he comes back? Obviously, you're going to say, actually, I already know the answer. It's like, how can we know he's coming back from this injury? He hasn't played for a long time, but he does have upside, right? This is going to be a more sentimental projection than usual in that I hope Timonen can become a fantasy-relevant player over the last 20 games or so of the season, whatever he gets in. And that's a tough order because he has been out, like, not even really able to practice or do a whole lot for, like, the first 50, 60 games of the season. At the beginning of the season, we talk about players who miss the start and, like, are coming in at game 20 and we're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard to get up to speed. And here's Kimo Timonen making his season debut at the end of February, just weeks away from turning 40. There's a lot of reasons to think the odds are stacked against him right now, which is why I say I hope 
He does well. He's certainly proven us wrong before last year. As a 39-year-old, for most of it, he was able to score 35 points in 77 games, 20 points on the power play, put a ton of shots on goal, about two a game, which is pretty good for a defenseman. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what exactly happens this year. I have him stashed, and I'll keep him on my IR until he gives me a reason to move him out of it, or I really need to add somebody else and I have to drop him to make that move. But I'm happy to have him as an option. I've called dibs on him in my league. And of course, it's worth mentioning that if he does see some ice time and some success, that could cut into a little bit of Mark Streit's numbers. But I think that's getting maybe a little too far ahead of ourselves. There have also been rumblings, and we don't love to comment on trade speculation on the show. That's not our forte. But there have been rumblings that... Perhaps Philadelphia would trade him to a contender should he seem to be able to play effectively upon his return. So a lot of moving pieces. We'll see what happens. I'm excited to see him back on the ice, though. Yeah, so if you want to follow Brian's lead, you know, if you have someone you're going to drop and pick someone else up anyways, maybe first pick up Timonen, put him in your IR before it's too late, and then you can just leave him there and see what happens. You never know. He's been good so far in his career, but definitely, like you say, Brian, it's going to be hard for him to do what he was doing before, especially on a Philadelphia team that's pretty weak. And with that, we're pretty much done the show. I'm just going to throw some names out at you guys. No analysis, but if you're curious, some guys with new line situations. Timo Polkinen is on the top line right now on Detroit, though Detroit won 7-6 today against Dallas, and he didn't get any points and only played like 11 minutes, so I wouldn't get too excited about him. Paul Stasny, he was on the second line in St. Louis for a little bit. People got excited that he was going to be playing with Tarasenko. Now it looks like he's back on the third line. That didn't really pan out so well. He was doing well before. Philip Forsberg is now currently on the third line on Nashville. We talked about this on the Patreon cast. Brian was saying he doesn't think this will last, but still something maybe to be concerned about if you're a Forsberg owner. Also, Dustin Brown is right now on the top line on the Kings. So those are just some players that I thought would be worthwhile for you to watch and see if something happens due to these new line situations. For sure, Elon. And to close out the show, let's bring it full circle. I'm going to rhyme off some player names like you just did of guys who are playing really well lately on maybe less fiery hot streaks than the guys we mentioned earlier. Jimmy Hayes continues to do pretty well in Florida. Thomas Fleischman saw a mini streak recently. Travis Hemenick, you talked about a lot on the podcast last week with the patrons. Chris Kreider is doing pretty well lately, putting up points. Miko Koivu is so hot right now. And, of course, in Long Island, you've got Josh Bailey and Anders Lee, who asked me not to repeat because we've said his name so many times over the last few weeks. He's like the new Matthew Perot. Yeah, I love Anders Lee. F it, man. Just men- Let's mention him every week. He's he's the new guy. I'm glad I have him, especially with Zetterberg injured. But okay, let's close it out. Thanks again for everyone who listened. And of course, if you want to get in touch with us, you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Send us your fantasy hockey questions. We love being engaged with our fans over on Twitter. Also, if you want to do us a favor, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That's a really great way to support the show without having to do very much work yourself. You just click five stars. You don't even have to leave a comment, though, of course, a comment is even nicer. I already mentioned you could go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron if you're interested in that. But okay, let's cue that outro music which recently someone asked us on Twitter, who makes that outro music? So we haven't mentioned it in a while. Thanks to the great Pat Roach for making this awesome outro music. But yeah, let's cue it up. And Brian, read us the credits. This show was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons and was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Natural Stat Trek, HockeyStats.ca, TSN.ca, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian, and looking forward to talking to you again next week. Me too, Elon. Until then, would you please keep on keeping Carl Sand?